Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wholehearted Loving. I'm Stephanie. Hi, I'm Georgiana. Today, we are going to be talking about high value, which you hear a lot about in the dating world, and projections, namely positive projections. But before we do that, we're going to do a self-connection practice, as always, to connect us with ourselves before we connect with each other and with this podcast. Chi. So let's take a moment to just feel what your body's touching, what you're sitting on or what you're standing on, and notice your breath. And we'll use our hands today for this practice. And if it feels good for you, let's place one hand on your heart or on your chest and one hand on top of your head. And we'll just be here for a few breaths. You can have your eyes closed or open. Giving yourself time to notice your breath as well. And then when you feel ready, you can release the hands. Follow your body's impulse for any other kind of movement you might want. And notice how that felt. Contained. Mm -hmm. Contained my range of awareness between my heart and my head. Mm -hmm. I really like this one for those days where I feel like things are swirling in my head. And I find that when we worry, at least for me, it's like this energetic tornado up above me. Mm. And so that really helps me mm-hmm. feel that containment and containment. I used to associate with like imprisoning, like something restrictive, mm. but now like when I feel this and I hear you use the word containment, it just feels like, Oh, I'm being gathered up and being held with all mm. the stuff that's swirling. Like I got a, a safe spot to be. Yeah. It reminds me of like picking up a toddler when they're having a hard time and like they're contained within that like loving hug. Mm -hmm. And I particularly like this one because it reminds me of like connecting to my heart and valuing things that my heart knows and then valuing things that my mind knows. Mm -hmm. Because I used to be very mind-centered. And thinking that that was the best way to live life was to use logic and reasoning. And I had to really learn and practice how to listen to my heart and follow my heart and listen to both and value both and see that they're not really at odds. They're just both trying to protect me. 
Yeah. Well, and they are, in fact, biologically connected. We have neurological activity in our hearts and in our guts. So making choices from those consulting the rest of our body other than just our mind is Mm -hmm. important. Yeah. I remember um, something that Dr. Gabor Mate said once when I was in a workshop with him. And I think it went something like this. Our minds, our hearts and our gut, they all hold wisdom and yet alone are insufficient. And I loved that because it was such a great reminder for me to not just rely on my mind Mm -hmm. and not to dismiss heart and gut. Yeah. And to actually spend some time getting to know them, learning to trust them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that sure leads into this conversation that we want to have about being a high value woman or a high value man. High value mm-hmm. person. I wonder if dogs think of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. High value puppies. Mm. Oh, I don't know. But you're reminding <laughs> me of puppy breath, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because would you deem puppy breath as like a high value like trait? I would be like puppy breath is like low value. That's my judgment. <laughs> so in terms of breath, it's yeah. the highest value for for me. Right. Um, yeah. It's uh innocence and sweetness. Oh. And uh fresh. It's like fresh. <laughs> I love this and I love how it's going to lead to the conversation because for me, like puppy breath, like, no, I think nasty. That's my (laughs) assumption. And like what it reminds me of is another thing, person, pet, animal who needs my attention and care. Mm. Like it's a sign of me having to stretch myself even further to give. Ah, so you've already, you've taken this puppy into your life. I'm like, this is somebody else's puppy. (laughs) That also increases the value for me. (laughs) That's funny because if it was someone else's puppy, still the breath wouldn't be a thing that I would value. (laughs) Are you squishy and cuddly? And will you not lick me? Because actually that's my highest value. If you do not lick me as a dog, I love you more. Oh my gosh opposite what a surprise (laughs) we're opposites i cherish dog kisses beyond measure i remember my mom once told me don't let the dog kiss you uh 10 of mrsa cases come from dog licks and my only thought was it's worth it what's (laughs) mrsa it's a super bug that you catch in hospitals or apparently occasionally from dog kisses i don't know Yeah, like I just think, don't kiss me first, or like don't lick my face. Really, it's my face. Don't lick my face because I don't like that sensory experience. Also, don't lick my face because where has your tongue been? Yeah, if there's been a fresh episode of I can see the tongue's been somewhere, don't lick my face. But otherwise, I specifically want you to lick my face. 
Yeah, for me, I'd rather not take that risk. Just never lick my face, please. Hilarious. So <laughs> our view on value here is is already demonstrating that we have quite different ideas about what feels good for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think this is really important because what I'm witnessing out in the world of dating, you know, social media has changed everything. Dating apps has changed everything. There are all these coaches and groups now dedicated to, you know, becoming a quality person so that you can attract a quality partner. And if we were talking about dogs, attracting quality dogs, we would have really different ideas about what that looked like. But in these realms of dating, I think there's a a solid foundation based in biology. Sure. You know, we want to be with, for example, typically like healthy people who are functioning in life and have some physical attraction to us. But we're blanketing these ideas and we're homogenizing these ideas um, and acting on them. And I think we're so confused about that. So we're taking things like, does a person have money? This is a really common thing that you'll see with women. They'll be saying things like, I've been talking to this really high value man for two weeks and I can't wait to meet him. And I can tell he's high value because he does X, Y, or Z. He messages me every day. Mm -hmm. He talks about things in certain ways. You know, maybe he, if you have met him, which often these women have not, um, he pays for dates or he opens car doors, you know, these stereotypical signs of chivalry and care, which may or may not translate into long-term behaviors or the other super important behaviors that we want to feel Mm -hmm. in our partnerships. Yeah. I always find this to be an interesting one. You know, in our work facilitating women's groups, I think a lot of what people brought in were relationship questions. And we would hear a lot about people who are just getting to know someone, just starting to date someone. And they would say these fantastic things about them. Like you said, you know, one, one label is, oh, this is a high value man. And what I like to remind people of, like, I'll often ask them, how long have you texted for? Or how long have you, um, like, how many times have you seen each other? And so then I'll say, oh, so really it's a stranger plus three dates. And then they look at me like, what? (laughs) And it, I think it helps people to remember that. And I was guilty of it too, of projecting all these things that I assumed were true about someone because they sent a few texts that were nice, mm-hmm. right? Or because we had a few great conversations. And I would encourage people like, how about we see it for what it is? This is a person that I've spoken to two times and those two conversations felt fun and smooth and I felt at ease, mm-hmm. period. I'm curious what I'll uncover over time about this person. Yeah. This is our meaning maker going crazy, right? We're trying to extrapolate into the future. We're trying to take a few behaviors that we've witnessed 
mm-hmm. and make them mean a bunch of things about the person. Mm-hmm. And often they're just reflections of ourselves. I remember um, when I let go of my need to plan conversations in advance, because I was afraid of being present and with the moment. And I started having these wonderful conversations. I'd go out on dates and we'd have great conversations. And I would leave that if I felt attracted to the person, it was like, oh, great, this could be something because we had this great conversation. If I didn't feel attracted to them, it would be like, oh, we had this great conversation, but you know, I don't see it going anywhere. And at some point, our friend Kara said to me, have you ever considered that you're having great conversations with these guys because you just bring great conversations? And I for the first time considered that. I was like, oh, right. This is a value that I have and I'm making it mean things about the other person, which may or may not be true. I totally remember that. I don't know who said that to me, but someone said some version of that to me. Maybe it was you. I don't know. Because I think it might have been you. And I was saying, you know, I have such a great connection with these men. And, and then something ends up being off. And I used to make that great connection mean so much more, right? Oh, it means that we're going to create this wonderful relationship together. It means this person might be the one. And I think it was you who reminded me, but gee, like you have this amazing ability to connect with so many people. That's just who you are. I was like, huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? You mean it wasn't because I was meant to marry all of them? <laughs> <laughs> and that really helped me see, not just to see the person, like the, each of these individual people as who they were and what had actually, what there actually was between us, but to shift out of that hopeless, helpless space. If those connections ended Mm. to think that they were the one it's never going to happen again. Yeah. And, uh, that was really, really helpful for me. That's great. Yeah. It's so important to connect with ourselves in a meaningful way. You know, the value we bring and the experiences that we want to have, you know, and I hear you talk about that it just clarifies that you love having real deep connections with people. Great to know, you know? Yeah. yeah. I worry when I see, especially women, cause uh, you know, I belong to these Facebook groups that are often uh, mostly women who are having these conversations and learning how to connect with themselves and their value and I think so many people are, are running this relationship desperation, you know, the greatest distraction from the pain of life is love. And we get into relationships quickly. We want to find the person we want to, you know, undertake the, the big love of our lives. And I see so many women making these really positive projections onto men and making these false associations. Um, you know, in the example of I've been talking to this guy for two weeks and he's, you know, he's showing up for me every day. It's like, well, he's sending you a text message. Mm-hmm. And I understand that if, 
you were waking up every morning and wanting to send somebody a text message. For mm-hmm. you, it might mean X, Y, or Z, but we don't know what it means for this guy. Right. I'll see these women post questions. You know, how do I respond in a high value way when? And there's something there that's such a deep disconnection from self. You know, you don't know what you want to communicate. You're wanting to communicate in a way that causes a response from someone, which in itself means you've lost connection with your own value. You feel like Mm -hmm. you need to trap someone or, you know, whatever it is. And when the conversation is around, you know, this is a high value man. And I know that because he's done these five things, which I can list off. And then this horrible red flag, they'll, they'll deliver it. They'll be like, here are the five ways that I know he's high value. And then they'll insert this tremendous red flag, like, you know, he doesn't have any time for a relationship, but I can tell he's super into me or, you know, something like that, Mm -hmm. that, um, really offsets it, but they've installed this idea in their mind that he's high value because here are five rules of what makes a high value person. There's Mm -hmm. something in there that's so deeply disconnected from the the feelings, the sensation of experience and connection with that person. Yeah, this reminds me of, um, it's like someone only willing to look at the glimmers and then also making glimmers like into diamonds before you actually know much about a person. And I think sometimes we protect ourselves trying to look for the good in someone and protect, you know, that, that hope in us that it's possible to find someone who is a match for us. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where all we do is look for the red flags Mm -hmm. and we turn every human quality into some red flag. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think something that is important for us to grow into is trusting ourselves and trusting the process to uncover and allowing ourselves to feel our way through. Like if we're connected, people ask me like, like, how will I know if I like lose myself in a relationship or how will I know if I like miss all these blind spots? Like if you're connected to your body and you're present and you're seeing the actual person across from you, you have many signs along the way. The question is whether we are willing to slow down enough to be connected to our bodies and to actually be connected to the person and see them for who they are and also feel in our body. Like, does this feel good? Like, is this a yes on that deepest level or is this a yes from a fear-based place? And when we're connected to that, it's so much clearer whether somebody or something is a fit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. This is reminding me of um, something you once told me. I'm really not great at remembering names of authors and teachers and things, but it was the idea of um, 
where we source information as men mm. and women, how we source information differently and how women are more programmed biologically to consult, you know, the social mm. group and yeah. we look outside of ourselves to get the yeah. information we need. And men and boys are more likely to go inward. So if the question is, are you hungry? The guy's going to look inward and go, yep, I'm hungry. I would like the food, please. And the woman might look around and kind of gauge the situation and, and decide externally. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, this an expression of value right there. That was a really interesting thing. I think it was Glennon Doyle who spoke about that once, yeah. maybe in her book or podcast. And she was sharing the example of watching her kids yeah. in like a social gathering, their kids and friends. And when she would ask them, hey, are you guys hungry? The boys just were right away, yes or no. It was clear. And she said, I watched the girls scan the room. And, you know, and when I read that or heard that, I was like, wow. One part of me felt really sad. The other part of me, like, really resonated and recognized myself in it. Of like, well, I am hungry, but if I say I'm hungry, what are people going to think? And what if other people aren't hungry? And am I going to put this person out, like making me food? And like, will I look like the one who just wants to eat all the time? You know, like all these things running through my mind. What will the boys think of me if I'm hungry? And what if I'm the only girl who's hungry? It just goes and goes. Yeah. And in this example, like the boys were like, yep or nope. <laughs> And that's what I want to support people to get to know. What is that inner yes or no that's just there already? And to start recognizing how many other layers and filters and questions we put in there in between our, the moment that we have the inner knowing and what actually comes out of our mouth. Yeah. That's how I really want to reframe for people what this idea of, value means, um, where they're sourcing information from is the value. The self-connection is the value, knowing what you need and want and being able to express it, being able to represent it and stand for it and seek it in your life for yourself is the value. And there's no rules. This is the thing is, When you describe someone who operates that way, in my mind, in my heart, my gut, I'm like, that's the kind of person I want to do life with or be in friendship with. Someone who has taken the time to get to know what's true for themselves and feels confident to speak it out loud. That makes life clear and easy. Yeah. Right. And I don't need rules. That this is the thing is rules drive us nuts. Yeah. There's so many exceptions to the rule. But if you're connected to that inner place, you'll have that clarity. Yeah. So if somebody said to you, here's the big long story and this man did this and that and blah, 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 blah. How should I respond in a high value way? What would you say to them? I think I have a habit of doing this. Um, I facilitate a weekly group coaching call 
for women and they'll submit their questions. And so I get to read their questions and I'll post them in our group chat when I'm doing the zoom call. And often before I answer the question, I pull out words and they know me by now. They'll know, Oh, G's going to like pull out phrases here and there because our words are so powerful. So before I would even say much else, I would, I would look at, can we look at the words? How should I respond? What does that mean? What does that already imply? Does that imply like there's only one right way to respond? And how should you, for whose approval, your own, someone else's, your mother, I don't know, right? Like who's determining that it's met the criteria? And then like you already mentioned, high value meaning to who, right? Whose definition of high value? And then I would be curious about, well, if I prescribed you a way of responding, would that actually be your truth? And is that what you want to be the foundation of a relationship with someone? Those would probably be some of my first questions. Right. It's a hollow thing. We're asking someone to create a framework for us because we don't know how to do it ourselves. And the inside of this framework is hollow. It reminds me of a workshop I did many, many, many years ago. And at the end of the workshop, the facilitator had us all step over this line and make the announcement, I am awesome. And the words felt good to say, but they had no basis. There was no connection between me and the words. And I, I'm seeing this a lot in the world of people proclaiming their awesomeness, but they don't feel connected to that. They don't know how to bring that mm -hmm. forward in a relationship. So they're asking, how should I communicate to convey my awesomeness? And the mm -hmm. answer for me is to get into relationship with your awesomeness, to know yes. what that means and what you value and how to express it. Yes. Can we talk about how to get into relationship with your awesomeness? Yes, please. And a little bit, maybe before we do that, this reminds me of positive affirmations. Mm -hmm. And I have nothing against positive affirmations. They can be helpful sometimes. But what I've noticed is if I say something and my body's like, mm, I don't feel that to be true. There's this disconnect between the words coming out of my mouth and like my self-belief. Something just feels off, right? If I were to say instead, like this is assuming like right now I do feel like I'm awesome, but there was a time when I didn't really believe that to be true. And you could have said that to me and maybe I would have smiled and said, thank you, <coughs> excuse me, thank you. But it wouldn't have really landed anywhere deep. It wouldn't have lasted, you know? Um, but if I were to say, I'm learning to see what's awesome about myself. Mm, that's high value right there. That feels true. Yeah. Right. And I really love walking people through tweaking these statements until their body gives them a sign. Oh, that one feels true. Mm. 
that one feels true. It doesn't um, sugarcoat the reality and it also leaves an openness to possibility. Yeah. So that's what you're describing there is embodiment, right? This is another buzzword that goes around. How do I embody this or that? And it's about making that connection between thought or words and body. Mm-hmm. And I'll always ask people, I'm like, let's just try a few iterations of different declarations and we'll just pay attention to your body and see which ones you like, what, how do they each feel when you say them? And people always know, they always know which one feels true. Mm. And this is people who come to us who say, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I don't know what I want. And very quickly walking through a few statements, they're like, Oh, I do know. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's so much power in that. Yeah. That'd be a good call in series. Mm -hmm. Call in, discover what you actually think and feel deeply in your body. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, so how I like working with, for example, a prompt, like I am awesome is saying, I am awesome, or I'm learning to see what's awesome in myself. And an example of when I've been awesome is, is when, and then we pull actual moments from your life where you really see the awesomeness in yourself, because we have such a tendency and a, a really well, um, what do I want to say? just a really strong muscle in looking for evidence that we suck. A lot of us are really good at that. And so I think it's important that we grow the muscle of looking for evidence that we're great. Mm -hmm. And it's more, it's beyond than standing there walking over lines saying, I'm great. There is value in that kind of a declaration, especially in front of a group of people and being witnessed, but there's more to it than just, saying I'm awesome or I'm great, right? It's getting in the habit practice of looking for the evidence of when you have been great, when you have been awesome, and then declaring that out loud and noticing how it feels in your body. And some people will say, oh, that feels sort of good to say. And other people might say, ooh, that feels hard to say. And that's okay. Yeah. Right? Um. Another thing I see, you see too, I think, is people, for example, they'll say, Steph, you're so awesome. Or, gee, you're so awesome. And they claim to not be able to see their own awesomeness. Right. So when I come across this, whether it's, you know, people who know us and see awesomeness in us or people who maybe don't know us as well yet, I'll ask them, can you bring to mind someone in your life, fictitious, like not fictitious, but someone who you either really know and who's actively in your life or someone who you just know of, like it could be Oprah. And I'm assuming most people don't personally know Oprah. And uh, I want you to think of a trait about this person that you think is awesome. And they'll tell me. Oh, they're such a generous person. 
Great. Generosity. Tell me a time when you've been generous. I have been, I have been, I am generous. I'll have them say this prompt. I am generous. An example of that is when. And then they're surprised and shocked Mm -hmm. at how many examples there are. And that's that part of like reclaiming your own generosity, reclaiming your own awesomeness that you think is only in these people you admire and respect, but not in yourself. Right. All of our interpretations are data and our projections onto other people are often reflections of ourselves that we just haven't connected with. Mm -hmm. This is making me think about uh, two things, pedestaling Mm -hmm. and um, this comparison to, to others. So I think one of the ways we can often see our own awesomeness is by comparing ourselves to people that we don't think are so awesome or like something will happen that we don't like. And then we realize that we ourselves are actually much more, you know, whatever we do the thing better, or we like the way we do it. And that those are Mm -hmm. moments where we can see it. Um, I think the pedestaling is often, uh, Another example of not being connected so much with realities and in the moment things and sourcing information from within, um, making mm-hmm. positive projections onto people in a way as, as judgments, as uh, final markers of how somebody is. And, and then we judge ourselves according to that standard as well, which can be yeah. painful because we're all human. And it's really like assumptions we're making about people. Yeah. And I did so much pedestaling. Is that a verb? It is now. Yeah. Like over the decades, like so much. And I remember, and I think it happened with like friendships probably in like younger age of thinking like, you know, the cool girls, that's some, a form of pedestaling. Right. I think that happens from a very early age. Um, but pedestaling that I really remember was one of my like first and most significant bosses. I was probably 18, 19, 18 at the time. I had just graduated from financial management and I was working in this one of the, at the time called the big five accounting firms. And one of the partners was, she was my boss and I just, admired her so much and I put her, I I knew that I thought she was great and there's nothing wrong with thinking that she was great. But what I realized only decades later was that I made her into superhuman in my mind. And so that anytime she did any human kind of things, which I didn't see as human at the time, I felt so disappointed and let down and it was crushing because I'm like, I thought you were this fantabulous woman that I could look up to and admire and respect. And I just realized you, you think this, or you handle things this way. And all of a sudden, like, and it was also very extreme. It was like, all of a sudden, like, I think you suck, Yeah, you know, or have to reconcile, like, are you awesome or do you suck? Right. Can I trust myself anymore? Yeah. (laughs) And what I realized is I never gave this person the opportunity in my mind 
to be just a human being who did possess some of these wonderful traits and also had other things that maybe I didn't fully agree with how she handled things. And like, that's humans, right? And that's human relationships. Exactly. Yeah. This is the nature of human relationships. So when we're trying to prescribe these ideas of what high value means, especially if we're dating. This means we're holding ourselves to these insane superhuman standards. And if we deviate from that, this is somehow a mark for or against our value. And the same with the people we're talking about getting into partnership with in these dating apps and whatever. There's no room for them to be anything other than these relatively artificial markers that we've created. And the only way we know how to make judgments in that context is by checking these markers out instead of feeling what's within. And then maybe we get a piece of data like, oh, right, people are human also. Okay, so I need to make room for human responses. And then we swing the other way and we start putting up with all sorts of traits and behaviors and things that don't actually feel good to us, but we're so disconnected from what feels good to us or what feels bad to us that we, we can't consult the inner wisdom. Yeah. When I think about it, it starts so early for most of us as children where we were not given the opportunity or taught to listen to the inner voice. Probably taught the right. opposite. Right? right? Yeah. yeah. That someone else always knows better. They know better how we feel and what we need and what matters for us. And a big example for me around this is I spent almost 20 years working with families, working with parents. And I, I always like to talk about this when a child falls down and hurts themselves and they will cry or they'll say that hurt and well-meaning parents will say that doesn't hurt. You're fine. And I'll talk with parents about that, you know, from a very compassionate place. Cause I know it's well-meaning, but we look at what message are we giving children when they are telling us they're physically hurt and they are expressing with their tears or in their emotion or their screams that they're in discomfort and we tell them they're fine. Nothing's wrong. Right. But that child in their body is like, but my knee hurts and there's blood and I'm scared. And all these sensations and feelings in my body tell me that something is different than before I fell. And now my mom or my dad and these people who I love are looking at me, telling me I'm fine. Right. So yeah. am I fine or am I not fine? Yeah. Better learn to ignore the notification system that is your body. Right. So I really tried with my boys to say, oh, are you hurt? Does your, your knee hurt? Or did that scare you? Or maybe a bit of both, right? Did you not expect that to happen, right? Were you shocked by that? And they'll have an answer because yeah. they know, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I really want to encourage all of us, if you hurt, you hurt. Yeah. If you feel sad, you feel sad. No one else gets to determine 
whether that's true for you or not. Even if they wouldn't feel sad over the same thing, it doesn't matter. If you feel sad, then you feel sad. And that's valid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want people to learn to interpret themselves through the scope of their experience, their sets of feelings. And that takes a lot of time, right? There's things that feel good to our egos and our wounds and our fears, which is not the same as something feeling good to our deepest or highest self, you know, and those things take a lot of, uh, practice discerning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have an exercise you could walk us through for something to do with that feeling into the self? Yes. Um, I don't know if we've done this exercise before and if we have, you get practice again. Um, this is one of my favorites to help people connect with what feels like a body. Yes. And what feels like a body. No, because that's what we're talking about today. Right. Is to like hear more clearly what like our bodies are trying to tell us what the inner yeses are. So let's feel our butt on the chair, or maybe it's your feet on the ground and notice your breath. And I want you, if you're open to using touch, place a hand on your heart or on your chest. And with your next breath, just feel that hand there. Maybe you feel the weight of it, maybe the temperature of it. And I want you to take that hand off. And this is just an experiment, it's exploration. Notice how it feels to have your hand off. And let's place your hand back on. And we'll take that hand off. And I want you to notice what's a stronger body yes for right now, your hand on or your hand off? On. On. Okay. So we'll leave that hand on. This is a moment of self-honoring. When you notice what's a stronger yes, and you give it to yourself. Every time we notice what we need and we're able to give it to ourselves or ask someone who we trust, who has ability and willingness to give it to us, it's an act of self-honoring. Every time we honor ourselves, I say we put like a penny into the self-trust account, piggy bank. Mm -hmm. Now I want us to add another hand on top. And notice how that feels to feel one hand touching the other and one hand touching your chest. And then take that top hand off. Notice how that one feels. And then we'll bring the top hand back. Notice again how that feels. And see which one feels better, which is a stronger body, yes, one hand or two hands. 
and give your body what feels better, one hand or two hands. It's hard to describe the subtle shifts of knowing, but they're so significant. Mm -hmm. When I started doing these kinds of exercises, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what felt anyway. You know, I just follow mm-hmm. the instructions and there was this sort of hollowness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is an accrual. It's a piggy bank. It's a growing mm-hmm. and building of muscles. And mm-hmm. this is another one of those things that you have to do to see and feel the differences. Yes. And what yes. I'm experiencing is like so specific that I want the one hand underneath my necklace and mm-hmm. I want this other hand on top of the necklace over one of the beads. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's really specific what feels good to me now. Yeah. And that's so clear, right? It's clear for you now and the specific specificity of it. But in the past you said, I, I don't know, I'm just following the instructions yeah. and it's to be able to see that practicing something like this, you might not have a clear yes or no right now. You might have a clear, well, that didn't feel terrible. And that's, that's, that helps. That's information. You might not even have that. And if you don't have that, that's okay too. I want you to practice anyways, because just, can you practice feeling your hand on your chest? Can you feel that sensation? Right? We need to get back in touch with finding a level of safety and comfort with experiencing sensations. And often the internal sensations were so overwhelming for us as children that we learned to go straight to our heads and cut it all off. But these sensations give us information that give us information. That's how we know when we need to pee, when we need to sleep, when we need to go poop right? When we're thirsty and hungry, it's internal sensations. And like all the sciencey term of it is interoception, right? But a lot of us are really disconnected from that. And it might feel very scary to notice sensations. And if you are one of those people, I want to let you know that that's okay. And you don't have to rush it and push it. What you can do is start with the outer sensations, right? Can I feel my hand on my chest? If I were to put another hand on top, can I feel the palm of my hand on the top of the other hand? And you might need to move it around to feel it. That in itself is huge on that pathway to become more connected to your sensations and your body's messages. Yeah. And the way that carries over in life. You know, this simple practice of feeling your hand on your chest, deciding if you want the hand there, deciding if you want a second one, all of this spills over into every aspect of your life. You then know maybe, what yeah. you want to eat, you know, yes. how it feels when a man does X, Y, or Z, you know, what energy you want to be in moment to moment. Mm-hmm. It reminded me immediately for some reason of like, have you ever held someone's hand or they've held your hand where you just wanted to fling it off like mm-hmm. immediately? Like there was a no. Yeah. And like, did we honor that no? Mm-hmm. Or did we just like let them hold your hand? Right. Yeah. And like, what was the mental thought process? What were the, like, what was happening in your body when you're like, your body, your whole body says no, but we just do it anyways. What are all the shoulds going on in our minds? 
And it just reminded me of like, how many times have we not listened to that inner knowing of this doesn't feel good. And also how we can make assumptions of just because I want to fling this person's hand off me right now, it doesn't mean I don't want any touch. It might just not be that kind. Mm -hmm. And am I willing to explore that? Perhaps I am open to touch, but I'd like it this way instead. And do I give myself permission to ask for what I would like instead? And if I don't know what I would like, do I give myself permission to explore and discover? Do I invite someone in to dis explore with me? Yeah. Yeah. So, so many possibilities so in feeling many. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But feeling, feeling is the key. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. I think we should wrap it up there for now. Anything else you want to say before we sign off? I don't think so. Okay. Well, thanks for being with us. Please like, follow, and subscribe. And if anything we've said here has been helpful for you, please share with somebody you care about. We'll see you next time. Bye.